You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. We need you, we love you, and we're here for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen. Thank you for that. If you uh, can, please find a Bible. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. You will greatly need the Bible today because there is no message apart from the passage that we are in right now. By the way, just to, just a little note. Um, I just looked at. I saw the parking lot a couple minutes ago, and uh, we're in trouble. So, um, if you want to attend a service other than this one, that would be great. That would be great. There's room eight thirty or the twelve o'clock, and um, that would be a way to serve. To be honest, if that works for you, and um, and so you could just consider that. There's still a little bit of room in some of those services. Uh, as well. So here's how the saying goes. The saying goes, you know it well. Uh, you can talk the talk, but the question is, can you walk the walk? You can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Think about it. Why does that saying carry potency? Um, the reason it does, the reason it kind of resonates with us, and it's a good statement of conviction, because that statement is really a measurement of authenticity or credibility. Right? That's what that does. So you can, you can say things, but can you back them up? Right? Anyone can talk a big game, but can you deliver uh, during the big game. So we often say too, we often say actions speak louder than words, right? It's the same thing. That's James's heart 100% throughout this letter and especially in our passage today. Um, evidently, James, again, the author of the book of James, was pretty miffed at empty talkers. Uh, he did not have time for religious pontificators. Remember, James's eternity too. James's eternity was changed by the heart and life of his, of his half-brother, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? Remember that. And James carries, we'll see this today, James carries the heart of his half-brother Jesus again uh, right through this letter. That's why it's part of Scripture as well. James is not interested in pharisaical or lofty religious speeches, not at all. He is zealous for fruit to be seen in the audience that he is writing to. And what he does then, he takes aim and he really hits the bullseye in terms of conviction of if you say this, then your, must, your life must live this. And really, it's the, the one statement in our passage today in verse 22 where he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's the thrust of our time together today. Why is that so important? Because it's so easy to hear but not change. It's so easy to be present. You can be present here today but not care. It's easy to do that. It's so easy, as Jesus says, to see something but not perceive it. There's a big difference between hearing and actually doing, right? So James is assist, insisting upon today. This is, again, one of the ways we kind of frame our time together. He's insisting upon an outward demonstration of an inner genuine faith. He's insisting upon, if what you say you believe is real, there must be fruit from your life that backs that up. We must be doers of the word. If you want to take today's message in one word, in one word, it's this, obedience. One word to describe our text today is obedience. If you want it in a sentence, then it's this. Genuine fruit from a genuine Christ follower will best be seen in genuine obedience. 
That line is important enough. Let's put it on the screen for you so we can see it again. This is the big idea. This is the thesis of today. It's the point of our text. Genuine fruit from a genuine Christ follower will best be seen in our lives through genuine obedience, again, to the word of God. So James 1, verse 22, we're going to looking at through to verse 27. Uh, let's read it, then we'll jump in as we do each week, just going verse by verse through uh, the word of God. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, notice, deceiving yourselves. Interesting. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks, looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But, contrast, the one who looks into the perfect law, the word of God, the gospel, the scriptures, the law of liberty, and perseveres in this, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Notice, here's the promise, he will be blessed or she will be blessed in their doing. In verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, interesting, but deceives his heart, there's that phrase again, this person's religious is, religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So another important day in the book of James. Let's get right into it. Let's start here. Number one we see is this, I must receive the command for obedience. I must receive the command for obedience. That's right there in verse 22. James says, commanding, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving, uh, deceiving yourselves. So we got to see right here, okay, in verse 22, notice this. Right away, we see the difference between a disciple of Jesus and a hearer of Jesus only. And there's a massive difference between the two, okay? So again, um, excited, so many different people here today. You gotta know this, listening alone does not make you a true Christian. Listening alone, showing up here alone and hearing something like this does not make you a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. Another way to look at it is this, this quote is good, it says this, many have marked their Bibles, but have their Bibles marked them? Okay, that's good. Like, that's what James is saying today as well. You can hear, but has it resulted in transformation in your life? The conviction here today is this. Genuine listening to the word, biblically speaking, Holy Spirit speaking, right here in a passage speaking, right, must result. Okay, there are no exceptions to those who are genuinely saved in Christ. Doesn't mean you're perfect every day. It means you are moving towards fruitfulness in Jesus Christ. Genuine hearing, listening, must result in genuine doing of the word in the fruit of Jesus Christ. So in verse 22, James is touching on two important aspects of the Jewish religious life, right? Number one was the hearing part. Hearing was an essential part of the Jewish religious rituals. But what James does, he's like, okay, you can hear, but now he starts to command what is often assumed but not realized in many people's lives. You can hear, but the proof of genuine hearing is doing. Not earning from God. You are responding to life transformation from God in you in the fruit or the works of your life. 
Genuine hearing must result in genuine doing. And this is what, again, is often assumed in the lives of many people. But James is like, we can't assume that. we got to see it from our lives. It's like um, the person who can sit in church for years and there's no true change. Maybe that's some of you here today. You've been sitting in church for a amount of time, but there's never actually been actual change in relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, doing stuff within your life. It's the husband that can sit and observe week after week, sitting here in church or some situation like this, but there's no transformation that has been evident. Now, it's the young person can show up with their parents week after week, month after month, year after year. The young person comes up with their parents, but there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what James is getting at here. You can hear, but the key is, has it resulted in a spirit-given doing, again, from your life? Now, this teaching is very, very, very important in Scripture. Jesus lays the foundation, the Sermon on the Mount, and one of the most critical passages you can find when it comes to this life. In Matthew 7, notice the parallel. Again, James is, again, half-brother Jesus. Jesus, half-brother James. They're on the same page here. Everyone, this is Jesus, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you hear the words of Christ, you hear the message of salvation and the gospel and trust and love Jesus Christ, you just built your house on the rock. And when your house is built on the rock, the floods will come and the rain will come and the wind will try to beat your house, but you will stand because your life is built on Jesus Christ because you have proven of true faith and receiving grace by doing the words in obedience of Jesus Christ. However, Everyone knows who hears these words of mine, and he says it explicitly, does not do them, is not obedient in the opportunity of grace through faith in Christ and the gospel, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains came, and the floods came, and the winds came, and they blew against the house, and it fell down, because their house was not built on the rock, it was built on the sand, and therefore it will not last. Notice the point Jesus says here, you can hear, you must do. Because the doing is the proof of legitimate receiving of God's grace and that you have been truly saved. Interesting too, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus again commands the church for all time. Go therefore make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice he says, teaching them, teaching them to observe. Yes, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Notice, teaching them, let them hear but then they must do. They must observe right in the Great Commission itself. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, so interesting. So obedience in the words of Christ is the difference between life and death. Those who obey... They obey because they've generally been transformed in hearing the word of God, and that gives them life. Those who hear and do not do proves they're not legitimate in Christ, and then the result of that is death. Notice in verse 22, James says here, he says this, this interesting phrase, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's very fascinating, isn't it? So someone who hears and does not do, they've deceived themselves. How do we make sense of that? I mean, many of us, though, would fall into that category. Many of us previously, maybe this is our story. We had heard a bunch of years. We had heard, 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 but it's never actually produced change. We deceived ourselves into thinking that maybe we were saved or alive when we weren't. That happens all the time. Still today, even in our, you know, churchless culture, it still happens. For some here today, right now, this is 
This is kind of where you're at and pray by the Holy Spirit speaking your life and the love of God will melt you and break you. You'll be able to see the difference between hearing and actually doing. Because we can attend church, right? We can attend church, maybe even baptized as an infant. Maybe you were confirmed at some stage of religious church life. Maybe because you've memorized a few verses along the way. Maybe you've had a sense of morality. You heard some things, you have a sense of morality. Maybe you tried to do some good deeds along the way too because you heard that might be a good plan. Maybe some of us, we've heard the Christmas and Easter story year after year after year. We've heard it and we're like, I'm good. I'm in. Who says? No, 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 I've been here. I, I've, I've, I've heard it. Yeah, yeah, but hearing's not enough. Hearing must result in transformation and fruitfulness for Christ. This is what James is saying today. Remember too, James himself, half-brother of Jesus, the Gospels allude to this, he did not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God before Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead. This is where James himself was at. He, he rejected Christ. Then he saw the resurrected Christ at some point and he became a leader in the church and wrote a book of the Bible. What happened? His religion turned to relationship. His, his deception turned to devotion. His hearing, when after seeing Christ's resurrection, exploded into genuine doing. He was made alive. And then the fruit exploded from his life. This is what James is getting at so much. He knows what he's talking about. He lived this. I want to make this abundantly clear today too. Some of us with not a strong biblical background, maybe not a lot of strong theology too, you must understand this. When James is, this is why again Martin Luther was, was kind of like a little anxious with James's because he emphasized doing in works. But here's what we know, okay? Works, genuine works are the result from genuine salvation. So when you hear, I must hear and do, you do not do, hear, hear, you do not do to earn from God. Doing is the result of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The reason you seek to be obedient to Jesus Christ is because of his obedience on the cross for you. You do not serve God to earn from God. You can't do that. We can't do that. We serve God and obey God because he has loved us by sending his son. And because we love him in return, therefore we want to give our lives to him. I'll say it one more time. We do not do to earn from God. We cannot earn from God. We do out of response to God's love for us. He has loved us so much through his son, Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection. He paid for our sins. He bore God's wrath. Because of that, we receive the gift of salvation by grace. By grace, you can't earn grace. By grace, and then from there, if I'm changed, I cannot help but do. My life must produce fruit for Christ if I'm genuinely saved in him. And that's James's point. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, because hearers only deceive themselves. This takes us to our second point, number two, which is this. I must learn from the illustration of obedience now. Man, I love this part. This is really encouraging and exciting here. So verse 23, notice, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently, notice that, at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Verse 25, 
But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing, in his fruitfulness. So what, how do we make sense of this? This all, all this, this language here is a little interesting. A mirror in the ancient world was often made up of polished bronze or copper. And so as you looked into a mirror, not like the mirrors we have today, it, it would produce a dim reflection. Sometimes it would produce a warped reflection. You really had to study the mirror to get a good look at kind of what your reflection looked like. The person in verse 24, okay, is the person, it says, notice it says, who looks intently. So as long as the person's not looking, the person looks intently into the mirror and they, they see their imperfections. They see what they really look like, but the text says because they're not legitimate, they actually forget what they look like and they leave and then soon after it means nothing to them. So a great example of this is people sitting in church. And the word of truth, again, this is amazing. So the word of God is a mirror. And the word of truth is held up. And what God's word does, it causes us to see us for who we really are. It's a mirror. We see our reflection, and often we're, we're, we're pointed out the imperfections, the sin, the things we need to change. But this person sitting in church in verse 24, the word of God, the mirror is held up. They see their sin or imperfections, but because they don't care, they brush it off, they forget, they leave, and by lunchtime, they forget they were even at church today. And there's no change. There's been a hearing, but there hasn't been a doing. There's no response again to the conviction for change. But then verse 25 provides an example of a true doer. And the true person, the true doer, they look into the mirror of God's word. And what happens when you get into God's word, all of a sudden you see the truth of God's word. You see your sin. We are moved with conviction. We believe in the freedom of God's will and God's way revealed in God's word. And the Holy Spirit starts acting in our lives and we're convicted and we want to be changed. We see that sin. We know it's wrecking our lives. We want to get rid of that sin. We want to repent. We want to be forgiven. And we want to be transformed that we might bear more fruit and be more blessed, verse 25, in the process. That's a person who hears and actually does as a response to what God has said. Let's take a perfect example from our passage last week. Last week, we spent a good amount of time on the sin of sinful anger, the seriousness of sinful anger. And as we taught that last week, the room was still. The listening was strong. The conviction was, was, was evident because a lot of us were being held up against the mirror of God's word. It was so beautiful because after the service, many people came to the front after the service in confession and repentance and tears and for prayer. In some cases, too, it was so awesome. A husband and wife came up, and the husband was confessing his sin of anger in front of his wife and asking for prayer. That's very, very beautiful. That is a great, great example of hearing and doing. The hearing resulted in genuine conviction that resulted is, I don't want to stay this way. I need help. Christ is the answer. Holy Spirit is my strength. I want to change. I will do something about it today because the Lord is working in my life. But last week, what we know too, every week, there were people sitting here and heard the same message, had the same mirror of God's word held up to their lives. They had a sense of conviction, but they weren't willing to do something about it. 
And so what happens is, is that they hear, and they're like, in the end, mm, I don't care. Or like, they hear, and they're like, I just don't want to do anything about that. So they leave, and by lunchtime again, all has been forgotten, and no change has taken place. That's the person in verse 24. That's what the Bible is describing. So what are we going to be? Are we going to be hearers? Or are we going to be doers um, of the word. Again, if we hear and do not do, remember the text says, not me, the text says we deceive ourselves. By the way, I just want to point this out. When it comes to the mirror of God's word, um, there's a reason we're called Hope Bible Church. Hope Bible Church. If, if you don't have, I just love how the Bible talks about itself. If, if you're not staring in the mirror of God's word every day, you're going to be in big trouble. Like, can you, can you imagine, like, the churches that close the Bible, I don't have a theological understanding of why you would ever do that. Let's, let's diminish the Bible in church. What? Let's close God's voice so we can say what we really... This is what churches are doing all over the place, okay? All over the place. Less of God, more of us. Okay, theologically speaking, do you think that's going to end well? Like, honestly, can you actually give an argument of how that will go well on some level with the church of Jesus Christ when we silence the voice of God and raise the voice of humans? No. There's no way with an open Bible you can say that's a good plan. But so many churches are... Why, why do so many believers spend no time in the Word of God? That, to me, is theological insanity. I do not understand. It's the mirror of God. I mean, even this morning, I woke up early hours, and I open up the mirror of God's word, and it reveals to me and shows me and leads me and encourages me and convicts me and blesses me. And I'm so changed by That's my theology of why I get up early in the morning. Because this is God's mirror, and I need to look into it. Because I cannot see things by myself. And this is the one tangible book that God has given to his church. Please understand that. There's no other gift you can hold in your hands other than the Bible, the Word of God, the inerrant, sufficient, again, inspired Word of God. This is why, too, I implore you, if you're new to our church and you're coming, man, when I see people walking from the parking lot, have a Bible in your hand. If you use the Bible on your phone, okay, fine, not as good, not as good, but have a Bible, have a Bible, have a Bible. Again, come to church, look into the mirror, be blessed with one another. Again, there's no point. Listen, you will not make it without this book. And that was a good spot for an amen, by the way, church. All right, all right? Listen, you, you, you cannot survive apart from the word of God. This is, not, this is not legalism. This is relationship with the living God and hearing it as we are today. Can you imagine if this message was apart from this book right now? I can make you laugh maybe if I try enough. I can tell some stories to maybe get a little emotion or tear in your eye. I can maybe try to appeal to your intellect. But in the end, nothing changes. You come in, you're like, oh, that was nice. And you leave exactly the same way as you came. Only the book is what the Holy Spirit uses. to. This wasn't all in my notes, but this is an important time for us to understand. We need the mirror, the mirror of God's word within our lives. We cannot, cannot push this aside. Again, so notice, this is a great lead in those of verse 25. Notice it says, the perfect law, the law of liberty. What is that? That's the word of God. That's the Bible. That's the scriptures. That's the gospel. Notice, James says, the perfect law that is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient word of God. The perfect law. No book like it in the history of the universe. The Bible stands alone. Then the law of liberty. The law. Why is it called the law of liberty? Because the gospel is our freedom. 
The gospel sets us free from sin. What's the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. It's the message that in our sin we are dead, but Jesus Christ came to pay for our sins. He died on the cross. We believe in Jesus Christ. We're set free from our sin. We're set free from hell. We're set free from any and all condemnation. We become children of God. We cannot die. Only the gospel is the law of liberty that gives us freedom. So the person who looks into the law of liberty says, yeah, like I want that freedom. And there's no other gospel message that can do that in this world. Only Jesus can say, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's the gospel. It's the law of liberty. You won't find that anywhere else, anywhere else, again, in this world. Only Jesus Christ can truly set us free. So James is like, man, you got, the person looks into the law of liberty, to the perfect law. And again, that's why preaching is so utterly important. God uses the Bible to pierce our hearts, to transform. See, see, only this book can look into the inner parts of your being as it is right now. For hearers and doers, the Holy Spirit's looking into your heart right now and discerning and judging your thoughts and intentions. Like, where do you get that from? Right here, Hebrews chapter four. For the word of God is alive and actively searching us, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces us. It discerns in us. Look at discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That, that's only, the Bible does that in combination with the Holy Spirit. That's why it's absolutely critical. We need the Bible to pierce us, to discern us, and to lead us, and guide us, and convict us. And interestingly, when James says, who looks into the perfect law, okay, looks into the perfect law, that's a metaphor, and that was used in Greek language, a metaphor, a picture, a, a woman staring into a mirror to decorate herself. That's where this image, so just imagine the care and the time that a woman would stare into a mirror to put on makeup, to style her hair, and in many cases, like every hair is in place, and the makeup was put on just as it should, that she might be presented as beautiful, the same metaphor, again, as a woman would stare into a mirror to physically apply beauty, how much more, let me speak to the women for a second here, and of course all the men we understand, but how much more would, should, a, should a woman stare into the mirror of God's word that you might present yourself as beautiful before the Lord as the Holy Spirit reveals the imperfections and sins it allows you to have the imperishable beauty only found in Jesus Christ. Let me a word for young women right here right now. All women, young women. Young women, you are being bombarded every single moment of your existence right now. And all women are, and all of us are in some way or another. That your true identity comes from your physical beauty. You are absolutely under an onslaught of falsehood that says you are only what you appear to be physically. I'm here to tell you today, on the basis of the authority of God's word, True beauty, true beauty will be found and ultimately established for eternity in Jesus Christ. You can be the prettiest girl in the world, the world says this, and if she doesn't have Jesus Christ in the end, she's going to be as ugly as sin. Literally. Literally. I, I appeal to you today. I implore you, young women especially, under the onslaught 
of the world's tactics. It is not wrong to present yourself as attractive. It is wrong if you believe that's where your worth comes from. You must, you must, this is, this is a, the greatest habits of my life are established not by self-control or self-discipline. They're established by good theology. If you believe that your greatest beauty is found as you stare into the word of God as your mirror, that is something you can take with you for the rest of your life and the rest of your time on earth, and that will set you apart from millions and billions of other people on this earth who will never have the same wisdom. Your beauty comes from Jesus Christ, and you build a life and a habit of staring on top of that. Amen. Amen. You build your life staring into this mirror, and you will be as beautiful as they come. The imperishable beauty that is found in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you take this theological wisdom right now, and you seek to apply it to your life on a daily basis. And you, and you will be blessed. God promises that you will be blessed right here in the text. We must, all of us, we must expose ourselves to the mirror of God's word by his spirit that we might hear, know, and follow his will. The word of God always leads to blessing. The command of obedience, the illustration of obedience, and then thirdly this, I must weigh now the application of obedience. We've done some of that already, but let's see what James says specifically here, which is really interesting. So look at verse 26, okay? Now he gets a little more practical. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, that's so interesting, but deceives his heart, there's that phrase again, deceives his heart, look what he says, this person's religion is worthless. Wow, wow. So notice what James does here. He's like, hey, let's talk about True religion. Let's talk about true obedience. And let's start with the tongue. Really? Our speech. Yes. In fact, in James 3.6, he will say, James talks about the tongue a ton. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Wow. We'll get there in a few weeks. In fact, the use of the tongue is so serious to James. He says in, in verse 26 of our, of our text, he says, if you cannot bridle your tongue, then this person's religion, again, is worthless. He says, you have deceived your heart. So let's get really practical, okay? Let's get practical. If you claim authentic discipleship in Jesus Christ, yet your life is filled with rampant gossip, you got to take a good look in the mirror. If we claim fellowship with Christ and our lives are dominated with tearing other people down by ripping to shreds the character of other people, by incessantly talking about others in a sinful, negative way, James is saying, mm, I don't think you know Christ. That's how serious our speech is. Not my words, in the text. If you cannot bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. He's like, what's the point? You say you follow Christ, but your mouth is just used for evil. If you profess to follow Christ, but your MO's walking around again, ripping the shreds of other people and promoting self and demeaning and just even using the Lord's name in vain without a care, you got to examine your heart and be like, what's up with that? Because that's not the mark or fruit of those who are genuinely alive in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a hearing, but 
has there been a doing? Spurgeon put it this way on the screen for you. An unbridled tongue indicates a godless heart. An unbridled tongue indicates a godless heart. Again, I don't know how much we've thought about obedience in terms of our speech, but our speech is a massive indicator of our obedience in Christ. How we talk, the words we use. Our proverb says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Again, the person who is not in a good place this way, I mean, it says their religion is worthless. Worthless is empty, useless, or fruitless. Speech matters to God so much. I was thinking about that too, eh? The importance of speech, our words, the tongue in relation to the Lord and our obedience. I, I thought of Proverbs 6. You know, Proverbs 6, it says God hates seven things. So if God hates something, I'm listening. Okay? I'm listening. I mean, he's being clear. He's like, I hate seven things. You know what three of them have to do with how we use our, our words and speech and tongue? Three out of the seven of the list that God gives. The first thing he says that he hates is a lying tongue. Lying is a massive deal to God. Lying is massive obedience or disobedience. He says, he says that one of the next things he says about use of speech, uh, false witnesses who breathe out lies. God hates those. Hates people who intentionally bear false witness and breathe out lies when they know what is the truth. And the last part of use of tongue and speech that God hates, God says, I hate those who sow, sow discord among brothers. The people who they walk around and they're sowing division and discord and enmity among brothers and sisters, particularly in the church. God hates that. All those have to do with the way we use our speech. So it's so interesting, eh? James practically applying. He's like, listen, if we're going to be obedient, let's start with, let's start with our words. Wow, wow. Because, again, um, out of the heart, right, or the words that we speak flow out of the abundance of the heart. And so it's so, so critical to examine ourselves. So let's just take a moment here and let's just, just assess how we're doing in terms of our words, our speech, and, and our obedience. How are we doing? Then verse 27, look at verse 27, our final verse today. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what James does here, he gets practical again. He introduces two categories of what he calls pure religion. These categories, by the way, are not exhaustive to pure religion, but pure religion must include them. That's in key. The two categories we could say are social concern and moral purity. Those are the two broad categories. He references the visitation of orphans and widows. They are representative of those who are helpless in this life. Genuine Christ followers will have an increasing genuine heart for God, will have an increasing genuine heart for those who are helpless around them. That's a practical example of obedience in our lives and in our church. Seen in our church, again, practically and just by example, this is like our market ministry here, serving hundreds of people in our community. This is our 
uh, serious partnership with Compassion Canada and reaching children in poverty with the gospel. This is our benevolent ministry that runs through our church in so many different ways. This is our wonderful and growing deacons ministry set up for this purpose to care, again, for widows and orphans. Our work in downtown Hamilton, our partnership with pregnancy centers and single moms, our orphan care connections, our ministries that we partner with like Hope Meals, Helping Hands, Safe Families, Prison Fellowship, and Samaritan's Purse. They're all examples of seeking to be obedient to what God has entrusted us with to care for those who are helpless. Because that's part of what, it's not, it's not exhaustive, it's part of what pure religion looks like. So we're learning here, James is like, hey, listen, listen. If God's working in your heart and life right now, some aspect of your life will have a, 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 a genuine heart and love for the helpless. How are we doing in that regard right now? Can you and I point to our lives and to see obedience in terms of having a heart for the fatherless, for the widows, for the orphans, so to speak, around us. James says, hey, if you're legit, that will be definitely a part of who you are and what you're doing. Finally, then, James ends with this. He says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, so he's like, hey, if you want obedience in your life, get practical again, then basically the saying that could describe the end of verse 27 is this, is we are to be, again, in the world, but not of the world, right? So we're in the world, but we don't become stained with the world. We're not polluted with the world. We're not, again, tainted by the world around us. So that's another great point of application of obedience, How's our obedience in terms of being in the world? Yes, but not stained by the world. Question, are you stained by the world? Are you polluted by the world? See, again, a lot of people in this room, a lot of people in Overfull, a lot of people listening right now, okay? Like, I'm not dumb enough to stand up here and to not understand there's, there's some of us that are basically indistinguishable from people of the world. Our habits, our desires, our affections, our thought life, just everything we do. There's really no difference at all between our lives and the lives of the world around us. That's a major problem to James. We have been polluted and stained by the world. But I love the world. We don't become the world, right? Romans 12, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's word that we might be hearers and doers and therefore not be stained by the world around us. Some practical application of what obedience looks like in our lives. And James is like, man, we got to have people who are pure and undefiled religion. This is where we must not just talk the talk, but we must walk the walk. This is where our actions have to match our words. Again, listen, listen. We need an outward demonstration of a genuine inner faith. So, this is an important message today, man. There's a lot here. I pray the Lord is working in so many different ways right now, in so many different lives. How are we doing overall? There's hearing, but then there's doing. And you know what's so exciting today? We get to end with the Lord's Supper. Now, let me just be really clear about this. And I, I can invite you, if you want to pack up and just sit quietly, that would be good. Do that now. If you want to pack up your Bible, whatever you want to do. But just let's prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. But here's what I know too, okay? So many new people here today. Please understand, okay? Please, please hear me. The Lord's Supper 
is for those who are saved in Christ. The Bible tells us to take this very seriously, 1 Corinthians 11, that we are not to trifle with the Lord's Supper. We are to take it reverently and seriously. Do you know the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11? People, these are not my words, in the Bible. The Bible tells us, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, people died, became sick and died because of their reverence towards the Lord's Supper. You can look it up. It's there. How does it all work out? Don't know. But all I know, we to come to the table today with reverence, with seriousness, with sober-mindedness, with an examination of our hearts. But here's how I want to frame today in, in the Lord's Supper. It's so beautiful. Think about that. We are called to obedience today. Where does our obedience come from? How is it possible we can even be obedient in the first place? The only reason that we can be obedient to God is because of the obedience of the one, Jesus Christ, who came before us. Philippians 2 said that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ was sent at Christmas as obedient to his Father. He was sent to live a perfect life in obedience to his Father. He was sent to die on the cross in obedience to the plan of God. He bore our sins in obedience. He took on the wrath of God in obedience. He was falsely accused, again, subjecting himself to obedience. He died for our sins in obedience. We have life because of his obedience. We have no chance apart from the obedience of Christ. He gave everything for us, willingly laying his life down in obedience that you and I might have everlasting life. So I just, I'm trying to say this. When you hold the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that you are holding the symbols of his obedience for you, that you and I might be obedient at all. We have no chance apart from his obedience. And you hold the symbols of massive infinite love and massive sacrifice and massive mercy. His obedience, loving us, that we might love him and therefore want to obey him. We do not obey to earn. We obey because we've been so loved. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. We do not obey to earn from God. We obey because we have received grace from God. His obedience fuels our obedience. So when you're holding the symbols today, think about that. Thank him from his, for his obedience. Thank him for his dying on the cross. Thank him for bearing the wrath of God in your place and mine. Thank him. Beg him to make us feel and to see with fresh eyes again all that he's done for us. Again, I just want to say one more time. The, the Lord's Supper is for those who are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're unsure right now, maybe just wait. Maybe just wait, but, but consider, man, receive Christ so you don't have to be unsure, to know him, to, to, to be given life everlasting, your sins forgiven, receiving the gift of his obedience for you that you may never die again. So I'll ask uh, the service if you guys can come forward now and you can prepare to serve. Let me just... Please pray for us as we do that now. Father, the Lord's Supper is a very, very big deal. And I pray it will be received as such right now in our church. I pray there will be reverence. I pray there will be great respect, Lord. I pray that there will be rejoicing that we get to hold the symbols of what you've done for us that we might live. Yes, Lord Jesus, thank you that you were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
lead us now. May this time be so special. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The cups are stacked, so you can take. They're stacked one on top of the other, the, the juice and the bread. Take the stack, and then we will receive together in just a moment.